Hello and welcome to Here's the Pitch on the ST Weekly channel. I'm your friend here, Brad, your YouTube friend, and thank you for joining me as always. STLMasses.com is my sponsor. They're the restaurant, Masses Restaurants, but STLMasses.com is where you can go to check out their menus, check out uh, directions, and get that uh, pasta that I talk about all the time. And uh, I, I'm hoping that my, my guest today, I love when we have stand-up comedians on the show, and today we've got Craig Gass. He'll be in St. Louis next weekend, uh, May 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. It's Craig Gass, Funny Bone. Hello, Craig. Do I get a free pasta when I get to St. Louis? Is that what happens? You might get a toasted ravioli. I'm trying to think. Funny Bone is it's close. Masses is there's five locations. There's not one real close to the uh, the Funny Bone, but I could probably get you something. We could probably make that happen. All right. I'm, I'm actually not a fan of pasta or ravioli. <laughs> I'm sure they probably have something awesome. I would love over there. So they have fi they have fish and they have uh, burgers. I, we'll find you something. I promise. But uh, all right. Thank I'll you. Again, I, I like I said, I really do enjoy having comedians on, and so I'm really, and I've been trying to get Craig on for a while, and so uh, I'm, I'm glad he's here. Um, so comedy, stand-up comedy, COVID, you're starting to get back on the road. I mean, what was last year like? I mean, did you do any of the outdoor stuff? Did you do a lot of writing? Tell me just kind of what you've been up to. Oh, yeah, man. I did, uh, did some outdoor socially distanced comedy shows in Central Park. Uh, which were messy. I did Zoom comedy shows, which were awkward. And uh, I, I got hired for a couple of um, uh, Zoom uh, corporate shows. When you do a corporate show, it's like, you know, I'll always do some kind of intel on like, hey, so tell me how dirty or clean do you want me to be? Tell me some funny stories about the company or about your employees. And they'll tell you stuff that when you get on stage... You're in a, you're, you're kind of getting all the jokes out. There's a dark room and there's an energy in this darkness. And, and I'm getting the same kind of information about like, oh, well, you know, Jeff in accounting got caught uh, watching porn a couple times. And then there's a girl named Susan who got really hammered and made out with a bunch of people at the Christmas party. And so you're on stage and you're like, hey, I guess uh, Jeff in accounting uh, got caught pumping off at work. But he's in a window looking right at you going, what the fuck? Like, you know, and then you go, hey, I heard that uh, Susan's uh, kind of a slut at the Christmas party. And she's got her kids with her. Like, you know, it, you're staring right in their faces. It's yeah, it's, it's a completely different energy. Um, but we got through it. And, um, you know, I was lucky that uh, I didn't really have to stress about it. Um, but it is stressful to spend money and not earn it that's very stressful so that that psychologically kind of fucked with me but but all of a sudden a month ago i had no schedule and all of a sudden everything just kind of came together started getting offers for i had a small gig in eugene oregon then i got the offer from st louis and i got text messages hey the, the comedy clubs in new york are opening at 50 percent and then i got offers from detroit and then there's a comedy festival in boise and um Salt Lake City, uh, Nashville, all these cities. So I, within a month, I have a schedule that goes all the way through the summer and, uh, and then beyond. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's awesome you're coming to St. Louis. Again, it uh, starts next Thursday, two shows Friday, Saturday, 7.30 shows on Thursday and Sunday. I'm promoting here, man. Funny Bone. I love the Funny Bone. Uh, I love it. I love it. 
You're doing a great job. You're a good agent. We, we look forward to having you here. Um, yeah, and boy, those guys should be fired, right? I mean, what are those guys doing that are, uh, you know, watching porn at work? It's like, here, here's a funny one. This guy over here was snorting coke off the, off the, off the secretary's butt. <laughs> you know what? I think it was in St. Louis. Maybe it was Cleveland. Cleveland or St. Louis. I was somewhere in the middle. Well, we're known really for our snorting coke off the butt thing, so that's... Well, I, but it's, it's kind of related to that. I'm doing a local TV station appearance. Um, there's a, a guy, I walk on set, and this guy uh, tells me that um, he was, he goes, hey, man, uh, I don't know if you know who I am. Uh, do you watch Big Brother? And I said, uh, I don't. No, I don't. And he said, oh, okay. Well, I was, I was on the last season of Big Brother, and I was like the bad guy. Like, you know, everyone knows me now because of that. And, and I grew up in this town. And they made me the entertainment reporter. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Right on. And then he leans into me and goes, yeah, and uh, dude, here's the crazy thing. When I auditioned for this, I was on Coke for like four days when they gave me this job. And I'm looking at him and I go, you know our mics are on, right? And he goes, what? And I was like, well, what are you doing, man? Fucking everybody's listening. Like, yeah. So I don't know if that guy still works at that station, but yeah. I watch Big Brother. I would know, I think, if there was an entertainment reporter from St. Louis. It doesn't sound like a St. Louis guy, but I'm trying to we'll, – we'll probably get this – we'll figure this out by the end of the show, I'm sure. So what a – what do you – so just – He's on coke, so, I mean, if you just put some cocaine outside your front door, I'm sure he'll find you. The bad guy on Big Brother. What a, what a, what a great uh, thing to have on your resume. Yeah. God bless him. Well, I know a lot of people come to this channel because I do a lot of interviews with people who have been on the Stern Show or who, who were part of the Stern Show, who go on the Stern Show. And uh, obviously, that's the first time I heard of you, or maybe not obviously, but it was the first I had heard of you. So I want to kind of get into that a little bit. Just tell me a little bit about just the first time you heard, hey, we want to have Craig in. And did you know it was an audition? What, what was that like? You know, Jackie leaves and now this chair's open and they're not sure what they're going to do with it. What, what did you think of what's happening? Did you think it was an audition or was it just a come in, do your thing? And how did it go? Well, it starts in 1995. Um, I think, uh, I don't know when that Private Parts book came out. Uh, I never listened to Howard, but I got his book for Christmas. And I don't know if that was like, I want to say that it was like Christmas of um, 93 or 94. I read the book and I just laughed my ass off. And I just, it's, it was the weirdest thing. I just thought, I'm totally going to work with this guy. I, I'm totally, I'm totally working with this guy. And uh, I just, I knew in my mind that I would end up working with him somehow. And um, so I was working at a radio station in, in, uh, in Seattle at the time I had moved up. I'm from New York originally, but I moved up to Seattle to start doing stand up. And I started doing radio. I was working with a legend in the radio industry, uh, named Bob rivers. Um, who, uh, he has these, um, song parodies called twisted tunes that actually charted on the billboard charts. It, it was really super popular song parodies. And I put together a tape of all these, um, voices that I did and I, I, I overnighted it to the Howard Stern show. And I think I, I labeled the tape Satan. And then I put in a little note like, uh, Hey Gary, this tape will scare the shit out of you. The next day 
someone at the radio station, a receptionist, said, hey, we, you have a phone call from Gary Delabate. He wants you to call him. And I was like, that's it. And I went out and got hammered for like a week. I, I like I just went out and got shit faced and just celebrated like, oh, it's going to be great news. And then um, a week later, the receptionist said, hey, Gary Delabate called and said, can you please call when you have time? And I was like, oh, fuck. That's right. So I called him up and Gary said, hey, so I got your tape. And uh, man, you know, all the voices, like who, who's doing all the voices on the, on the tape? And I said, um, well, that's me. That's me doing everything on there. And he said, so is, is that you doing the Sam Kinison? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you Sam Kinison, like we knew Sam better than anybody. And <laughs> we thought it was him, man. That's how fucking good it was. And I was like, well, I'd love to work with you guys someday. And he said, well, actually, we have an idea. And I started doing some stuff on the Stern Show. And it was this really fucking, like, hardcore. Every time an asshole died, like, someone we could all agree is an asshole, like like Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, when Je- someone like Jeffrey Dahmer died, I, I would call in the next day, as Sam Kinison calling live from the gates of hell with a dead guy. And it would just be, hey guys, I'm, it's Sam Kinison. I'm down here in hell and um, I got Jeffrey Dahmer down here and he's looking at my ass like it's a T-bow! Oh, oh! <laughs> and it was just dark. It was so fucking dark. And then over the years, um, uh, I remember... Uh, I would call in as different celebrities. No, actually, first I started writing and I asked um, because Jackie would write all my material and Jackie's material coming through Sam's voice sounded like Jackie's jokes through Sam's voice. And I remember saying like, hey, I feel like this isn't authentic to Sam. I feel like Sam would have a different approach to these these thoughts and these ideas. And Gary said, well, send me something. We'll take a look at it, man. And I sent him a, uh, a script. And they're like, oh, this is good. You know what? You should start writing for the show. And so I started writing my own scripts. And at that point, I'm thinking, fuck, I, I, should, probably, I should probably go back to New York. And uh, so I, there was a comedian that I worked with a lot out in Seattle who was living in New York named Mitch Hedberg. And uh, I asked Mitch, like, hey, Mitch, um, would it be cool if I... And I, I need to be out in New York. You know, is it okay if I stay with you for a little bit until I get on my feet? He's like, hell yeah, man. You can stay as long as you want. And I moved in with Mitch. And um, I started writing for Howard. I started writing for Weekend Update. And then I just started going into some weird fucking directions because I felt uh, so much uh, love from Howard for what I was doing that I was like, hey, uh, Dennis Miller has uh, this Monday night football gig. Like, isn't it, wouldn't it be funny to have Dennis Miller come on and talk about and just not make any sense at all because Dennis is so, has such a vernacular that's so over our heads, you know, all of his jokes of the, uh, man, this crown's harder to get off than, uh, you know, oh, fuck, what was that one? Martha Stewart on a bed of dirty sheets. I mean, for Christ's sake, like, um, so I started writing character stuff for for that, and then and then I started doing weird shit. Al Pacino had twins, and I said, "Hey, wouldn't it be funny if one of the babies was a regular on the show?" 
And nobody seemed to understand it except for Howard. Um, and Howard would do this thing, this regular segment where he'd go, Al Pacino just had twins and we have one of the babies on the show. So you're Al Pacino's baby. What do you like to do for fun? Uh, what do I like to do for fun? I like to pee. You like to pee? I love to pee. My mother, uh, Beverly D'Angelo, whenever she changes my diapers, I give her a quick squirt right in the fucking face. Hoo-ah. And she likes it because she's a whore. It was terrible. Everything was like really out there. And then uh, all of a sudden, one day in March of uh, 2001, uh, I wake up and I'm hearing on the show that they're giving Jackie a hard time because every time Jackie's contract would come up, it would be a real drawn out thing. And they were having a tough time because uh, Jackie's style of negotiation from what they would say on the show was he would just say, it's all what I want. I will not compromise. And Howard told him at the end of his last contract, he's like, if you do this again, we're not going to stick around. Like you, you have to like, you have to find some middle ground. You can't do it all your own way. And then, um, his contract was coming up and Howard reminded him, dude, please be, you know, work with the station. And I woke up one morning, I had three messages on my voicemail. The first message was, dude, Howard Stern is looking for new people. You got to call him up. Boop. Hey, dude, I don't know if you heard, man. Howard Stern says he's going to audition new comics because Jackie's off the show. Boop. Hey, crack, it's Gary Dolabate. Call me as soon as you get this. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I called him up and I go, hey, Gary, what's going on? He goes, hey, how are you? And I was like, He's never asked me how I am. I'm doing great. I heard Jackie uh, quit the show. Yes, he did. And I said, is that what this is about? And he said, yes, it is. And I was like, what do you want to do? And he said, we just want you to come in for two days. Just see what happens. You know, it's like, fucking fun. And then I came in and I, that's all I wanted, man. I wanted two days. Just come in and have fun. And, Something happened in that first two days that was like, I didn't realize how large it was. All I ever want to do when I'm in a studio with somebody is I just want to make everyone in this room laugh. And, um, and you don't think about people listening. And in that show, I mean, it just, I was getting text messages all the time from all over the country. And then I started getting offered acting roles and then, you know, got, um, you know, just based on stuff I would say on the show, I got offered acting roles in Sex in the City and uh, later on King of Queens and, and, and things just started happening from there. But uh, um, uh, the audition was supposed to be a two day audition. It turned into two days a week, every week for the next 10 months or so. And then by the time we got to that end of that run, I was in two days a week and then they would bring in Florentine and uh, Kimmel and Richard Jenny, um, Adam Carolla, um, Jeff Ross. Then they started bringing Artie in. Then Artie started doing two days a week. And then that, that middle day on Wednesday, they would start rotating. But it was just me and Artie doing two days a week, every week. And then they finally gave the job to Artie. And then I started getting work. So uh, it launched my career. That's a long Answer. You gave the story. That's the that that is the full story. Um, wh what was it like? I mean, when they call you and tell you you're not going to do this anymore, how, how was it devastating? Or were you like, well, oh, great time? I, I was 
I was kind of exhausted because I didn't know until the end of Tuesday every week that I was coming back next Monday and Tuesday. So, and I was doing drugs back then too. So like, you know, it, it was, it started to become a mind fuck of like, I don't know where this is going. It was supposed to be a two day audition and it's going on all year long. And, and, uh, I, I didn't know where the light at the end of the tunnel was. So once I got word, Hey, this is, this is over where we decided to go with Artie. It was like, all right, cool. And, uh, and it's funny because I would see Artie sometimes at auditions and I genuinely got the feeling that Artie, uh, carried, uh, some kind of guilt because of the way he would talk to me. He would always go, Hey, I don't know if you heard, uh, you know, uh, do you have the show today? And I'd say, no. And apparently a caller called in and said, uh, uh, hey, Artie, I love you. And he'd go, oh, thanks, buddy. And he, they'd go, uh, yeah, but Craig Gass is better. And he, did you hear that? And I was like, no, I didn't. That, that's funny. And I, it really was uh, funny to me that he would point that out to me. Like, hey, man, fans love you. And, um, uh, and he was always uh, incredibly sweet to me, you know, so... But not depressing at all to think that that could have been you for the next 10 years. I mean, I mean, does that, or is it, that's the way show business is, right? I mean, no, I mean, there's nothing depressing. I mean, I've been paying my mom's, I've been paying my bills and my mom's bills for 20 years. Like there's, there's no downside to like, if you say there's a downside, it's like, well, you could have had this much more money, but I went, like, I never finished high school. And I went to high school for a long time, you know? <laughs> like, and I still don't have my diploma. And, and uh, so it, everything turned out so much better than I expected. And I continue to get work. And I'm starting to do stuff with Howard again. And uh, which just started, like, in October. It started with Eddie Van Halen's passing. Um, I put Howard and, and Eddie together uh, when I was living at Eddie's house. So Howard had me on to just say, man, you know, when Eddie passed, you're the first person I thought of. Uh, and then we just talked. And it was such a nice conversation. We hadn't talked in like, I think like 15 years, something like that. So, um, so that kind of opened the door. And then, then I wrote a thing for them and that opened the door some more. And it was like, why don't we do some more fun stuff? So, um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm already, uh, because of Howard, I used to call Howard once a year on March 15th and say, hey, man, I just wanted to, uh, eight years ago on this day, 10 years ago on this day, 12 years ago on this day, you know, because you, I've been paying my mom's bills. I just want to say thank you once a year. And then <laughs> one year, Howard goes on and goes, oh, by the way, Craig Gass, if you're out there, you gotta stop fucking calling me. You call me all the fucking time. I literally called him once a year. And then Gary comes in the studio. Yeah, I, I, I told him to leave me alone. I don't know what's going on. You're a fucking guy. You know, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, he turned it into a bit. And it was like, all right, you know, fine. Like, you know, it's, uh, you don't need to keep calling the guy every year to say thank you. But I was just, I'm just an appreciative person who. <laughs> I appreciate, I, I understood the humor in turning that into a bit. So sounds like he likes the email thing from what I've heard on this show that you can email him. He might, you know, send you something real quick, but uh, don't call. Yeah. And you know what? I'm already weird about 
calling famous people. I have a lot of people's phone numbers in my phone that I, I'll scroll through and I'll go, I'm not calling that guy. Like, I just always feel like I'm going to bother somebody, you know, but, uh, but I understand. I totally understand. But he, uh, he's done so much for me by putting me on that platform that I'm eternally grateful. So. So you mentioned Artie and Artie takes that spot and he runs with it for a good nine years. And it was hilarious radio. I always say there's this double era. Jackie era was awesome. That's how I kind of learned about the show. The Artie era made me a super fan. I mean, I just thought Artie was so great. Did you listen back then? Did you, did you find Artie funny? And have you talked to Artie in a while? How is Artie? Everyone wants to know. Oh, and dude, that's the fucking, that is like, I went down this rabbit hole of like watching videos of like, here's the pitch. And I'm like, I haven't heard a single pitch. And then there's all these Artie update videos and none of them have an update. It's like, here's Scott, the engineer, here's so-and-so and here's so-and-so with an Artie update. It's like, what's the update? I don't know. It's kind of my running gag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, I listen all the time. I have a serious radio. They, they, they gave me a free, uh, subscription. So I listen all the time. And, um, uh, all the Artie years were amazing. I mean, it's like uh, the, the, I was more familiar with that than I was the Jackie era because even when I was in Seattle calling in from 95 to 98, I wasn't listening. I, I still wasn't listening to the show. I still had never heard the Howard Stern show. And uh, But, yeah, when I get out to New York, and uh, then I started listening, and then I, started, then I became part of the show, and then uh, – uh, and then I go through that whole experience of, of being in there. And um, and it was crazy. You don't keep in touch with Artie. No one does, right? I mean, that's the whole point of the Artie update is that no one has one. Except Nick DiPaolo had him. Was that you calling in to Nick DiPaolo's show? Or who, who the hell was that? He had Artie. He, he had Artie in in November. And it was like, is that Artie? I don't think that is. Artie's doing great. He's actually uh, teaching kickboxing now. Uh no. <laughs> I'm a yoga instructor. I do a nine to five. I do a lot of, you know, downward dog. I feel like we have to satisfy the clickbait and tell everybody that he's doing great. But yeah, man, we, um, we, we actually did shows um, right before COVID hit. We did a, a few shows together and he's lost a bunch of weight and uh, he's uh, healthier and happier and uh um and he's doing good um i haven't talked to him in uh probably um uh i feel like i, I want to have an update for you to be able to say oh dude he's he's uh yeah man he's doing a spin class he's fucking awesome but uh but yeah he's doing good let's, um, let's just go with he's going I haven't had him on the phone for a few months, but he's doing good. Okay, that's good. So we just want to hear he's doing good. We need. So, he went just dark. Like Artie doesn't go dark. You know, it was, he was going to do this podcast. And he was going to read stories, and then gone. Hope, I hope he's okay. Um, you're, so the impressions is really what everyone knows you for. You, you um, I mean, the Sam Kinison thing. I think I could listen to forever. Um, I remember why I just watched this. I watch YouTube all day. I mean, I love old stuff. So I saw Bob Costas interviewing Jerry Seinfeld and, and Costas says to him, I mean, do people come up to you and just recite jokes to you? And Jerry Seinfeld goes, yes. And I don't understand. Why do they need to hear me tell another joke? And it is like a song. It's like, we want to hear Jerry tell us about the sock in the dryer. Whereas, oh, there's this one sock left. But with the Kinison thing, I think I want to hear you talk about homeless people and, 
you know, the people in Ethiopia. Can you, can you do that for me? <laughs> did you see that interview that Bob Costas did with Sam Kinison? I've not. Is that, where's that? I have, is it on YouTube? Okay, I'll find. Bob Costas used to have a TV show. It was uh, Johnny Carson followed by Late Night with David Letterman followed by Later with Bob Costas. Bob Costas did a 30-minute, so it was probably 22 minutes uh, of actual interview time, uh, interviewing one guest. And he was so good with his research that there's always a moment in every interview where the, the person who's interviewing will go, how did you know that? Like he's, he was so good. And I see the commercial and the preview that he has Sam Kinison on tonight and I watch it and I'm like, what the fuck is Bob Costas going to know about Sam Kinison? But Bob Costas starts out the, the interview by saying, Sam, I used to watch you back in Hollywood back in the early eighties. And back then your entire act was based on that day's obituaries. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? This guy's funny but he's never going to make it. He's too dark. And Sam goes, Oh my God, I forgot. Him. And he explained the bit. Sam used to go on stage at the comedy store with today's obituaries and say, Hey guys, my name's Sam Kinison. I want to thank you guys for coming out. Thanks for supporting stand-up comedy. I'll tell you a couple people that you won't be seeing here tonight. And then he started reading off the list of people who just died. Like Esther Goldberg? No, she didn't catch the bus. She's not here. But apparently, if you want to see her work, it's going to be on display this Sunday <laughs> at Evergreen Mortuary. This is where the dead live. Like, it was just so, so fucking dark. But yeah, I love hearing Sam's story. I, and But that one always stuck out to me as like, how did Bob Cost just know that? I fucking love Bob Costas. Love how much he loves stand-up comedy. I'm, I'm looking forward to a day where I get to have a conversation with him about stand-up comedy because the guy is obviously an amazing interviewer, knows everything about sports, but has an incredible knowledge about stand-up comedy as well. well. I love him. Friend of the show, I have not asked him for an Artie Lang update. I didn't think he'd have one, but I agree because I did... I, so, again, YouTube, there's a guy now just posting... All these the Bob Costas shows because I've said I want to see these. I was a kid back then, and I just remember bits and pieces of being able to watch. And he he has this really deep thought about how Richard Pryor was, you know, changing comedy. And, and Jerry's like, "What do you mean?" And he talked Jerry into believing what he was saying about comedy. And it, it you're and that's what you just said is exactly what happened with Jerry Seinfeld, where Jerry's like, "I don't know what you're talking," you know. And then he finally got it. Um, so you're right. And maybe I'll hook you guys up. You never know. Bob's, Bob's a friend of the show. He's going to have an HBO show soon. So, uh, we'll, we'll plug that. I don't know why we're plugging that here, but I love Bob. I'm just, I just want to plug my future friendship with Bob Costas, which I know will happen. And it's a creepy thing to say, but I'm looking forward to being friends with Bob Costas. I'm looking forward to having a lot of conversation with that guy about stand-up comedy. So the guy is, uh, He's amazing. Sorry. You do a million great impressions, but the Kinnison one, I, I'm sorry, I have to go back to it. So when did you start it? There's a lot to it. There's the the laughter, the low, then the screaming, and you've got all three parts. I mean, you know, the Adam Sandler one, there's the same where there's the, the little part and then the screaming. So everyone has to figure this out. When did you figure out? Because I don't, no one, I've never heard anyone, it's like Billy Mira. No one is going to do a David Lee Roth, you know, the, like Billy Mira. Maybe you do, I don't know. <laughs> but your Kinnison is just, it's, 
it's legendary. When did you start it? When did you start thinking that this could be something? And was it part of, is that when stand-up comedy came to your mind? Like, yeah, if I could do this on stage, you know, I could just sort of do this stuff a little bit. Voices get stuck in my head. Uh, I grew up in a deaf family, so I couldn't learn how to talk for my family. I learned how to talk by copying all the voices I heard on TV. And voices and accents um, uh, always just get stuck in my head. I have a video um, that I recorded of Sam hosting a party in L.A. when I was 18 years old. And um, I I uploaded, uh, I think on my Instagram, a video of me and Sam together when I was 18. And uh, I have really long, I look like I should be in warrant. And, uh, um, and friends of mine would say, dude, I heard you have this crazy video of Sam Kinison. They'd be like, yeah, you want to come over and watch it? And we just watched this video over and over again. It's just 30 minutes of Sam hammered hosting this party and, um, and watching it over and over again, the voice just got stuck in my head. Voices like the weirder the voice, the easier it is for me to do it. Uh, normal voices like yours are hard for me to do because I, there's, I don't, I got to find something to, to, to grab. And Sam, there's so many, like, you know, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a slurred speech, you know, and, uh, <laughs> there's that, uh, that demon laugh. And then of course, a primal scream. Ah! I'm sure everyone in this hotel I'm staying at loves. <laughs> They're like, he's back. What the fuck? <laughs> We kicked him out of here 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. So for the last few years, I've been doing a lot of voiceover work, Family Guy, American Dad, and um, and then random shows will hit me up and say, hey, can you can you do this voice? And I always just say, just give me a few days. That's why I used to tell Howard all the time. Dude, who do you want on the show? I'll do it. Like, if you just give me a few days. And it, it always kept coming back to like, well, who can you do? But hey, I can do anybody. And then, and so we started digging into, and then sometimes it would just be conversation. I would, you know, when I, when I tell a story, I do the person's voice in the story. And I was telling Howard a story about Gene Simmons off the air. And he was like, well, we got to talk about this on the air. And then it turned into a full blown character where Gene Simmons would interrupt all the music guests that would come in. And I would try to sell them shitty kiss products as, as Gene Simmons. And uh, Man, I yeah. say it's funny though. Every time you'd have, to, uh, it's uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss. You had to tell people who this was, so they <laughs> understood. Well, it, started, it started with him because I'm a fan, so I would hear all these stories about how he would, you know, inter- he'd go to rock stations around the country and they'd say, "Hey, my name's Gus. I'm in promotions." I Gus. My name is Gene Simmons from Kiss, and it'd be like, <laughs> I know, like. He knows the power that he has. And uh, I just, I love the sound of that. Like, dude, that first time he came in to confront me on the Howard Stern show, he, someone gave him my phone number. Uh, I was headlining Caroline's for the first time that night, which for a comedian, it's like a, it's like a big deal. The first time you headline Caroline's and uh, I got a, I still have the message. He left me a message. It was just a short boop. Hi, Greg, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. Like, he said that on my answering machine. Like, I'm going to confuse you with Gene Simmons from Pet Boys. Like, and he told me he was coming to my show. He wanted to sit in the front row. 
And I made fun of Kiss for like 20 minutes. And he sat in the front row and just kept going. You know, that's me. He's talking. Isn't that something? Like, he loved it. It was crazy. Everyone who I do an impression of has tried to meet me at some point. And it's always led to like a weird or funny conversation. And uh, But the Gene Simmons thing was like off the charts because, you know, he actually showed up for the confrontation. So... That's pretty yeah. funny. I, I love I love those impressions. They're I, I know I could ask you to do them, but this is you know that that's your thing. You do that on stage, I'm sure. Or you do a little Tracy Morgan, maybe, or when you come out to any of these shows. I'll start. I'm starting off in St. Louis next weekend, um, and then from there, I'm all over the country in Detroit and Salt Lake and Boise and Nashville, and and uh, you see all the dates at getgas.com. Get gas with two S's. And uh, half the show is impressions, stories about people who I do impressions of, and uh, and a lot of the awkward moments that I've had over the years running into people. So it's a fun show. You have a couple more minutes. I have to ask you about Eddie Van Halen. You did live with him. Uh, I, I, w- I just listened to the entire story that you told, I think, on Opie Radio. So people can go watch that there. But uh, condolences if you were still friends with him. I don't know if you still kept in contact with him. Uh, really sad to know that he was dying like that and, and no one knew about it. Uh, maybe a few people did. But uh, what an amazing story that you lived in his house. Uh, but I, I, I'm sorry about that. But I did have to ask. You told this story that they kind of glossed over. You moved in the, as as Sammy was coming over to begin the 2004 reunion, and that you said they were documenting it, and then the documentary it was going so horribly wrong that they just said we're just gonna just stop and not put this together. What was that like to see? What what is the what is the problem? What, where is the because this is something that anybody wants to know. Who's the is the, is Eddie the issue? Is Sammy the issue? Is is it Alex being an asshole? Tell me a little bit about that time. That's something I always wanted to know. Uh, whenever Sammy or Michael came over, I was not allowed to be around. So it was communicated to me like, uh, hey, Sammy's coming over today, so you got to go down the hill to the guest house. And I'd be like, all right. I'd go hang out in the guest house, and then I would get a text like, hey, man, coast is clear, and then I'd come back up. But it was when Michael or Sammy came over, I wasn't allowed to be around. And and, uh, I, I mean, it's not like, oh, how come I can't, you know, I was like, all right, cool. You know, and I, I kind of, you start to put together, like, there's some tension there. <laughs> I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out why I, I couldn't understand it. And, uh, and I know that there were some kids who were, I believe they were in film school at the time, who they hired to, to do, like, um, uh, an embedded like they're just they're going to document this whole reunion. It's I, so when I was living there, they were making it was a, a a best of album they were going to put out with two new tracks and um uh with Sammy and uh these kids were going to film and document this reunion. But from what I understand, uh what they documented was had so much hostility in it that they were like we, we can't put this out you know but but i never i never knew what that was and then when they ended up going on tour later that year i i hung out i think i went to a couple of shows and man it was everything was split like there was like two camps uh i know that early on like 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 they had two tour managers and early in the tour 
somebody said they didn't even want to be on the same plane. So they got two separate planes. So there was two guys on one plane, two guys on another plane flying around. I mean, it was, it was crazy, the, the tension. But no, I don't know what the source of that was. And that was always like a big question mark. Like, why is there so much tension? I couldn't figure it out. So, yeah. Did you get a chance to talk to Eddie at all in the last couple of years? Or did, did, did that kind of fizzle out at the end there? Last time I called him, I, uh, I go, uh, <laughs> again, my phone has a, I got a lot of phone numbers for people that, who are uh, famous and I, they give me their phone number and then I feel like I don't want to call them. Last time I called Ed, I go, uh, I just had a random, like sometimes I'll feel like, oh, I'll call him, I can say hello. And I'll, I'll, I'll have like some espresso or something and I'll feel like really jacked up. And uh, I go, uh, he picks up, hello? And I go, Ed, what's going on, man? And he goes, Who's this? And I go, it's Craig Gas. And he goes, hey man, what's going on? And I said, nothing, man. I'm just hanging out. What are you doing? And he goes, sitting on the toilet, taking a shit. And I was like, oh, oh you want me to call you back? And he goes, no, oh, talk to me. What's going on? And I was like, oh no, I'll call you. Oh man, I'll, no, you know what? I'll just. Are you doing okay? And he goes, I'm doing great. What are you doing? And I said, I'll call you later. And I just, I felt really weird. And I was like, I'm not talking to you while you're taking a shit. And then I hung up. That's the last conversation I have with him. I mean, it's like the last conversation I had with George Carlin, who was a mentor, who, you know, flew me to L.A. He was so supportive, wanted to help me with my career. The last time I talked to George, I prank called him. And in the middle of the prank call, I said, I broke character. And I said, George, it's Craig Gass. And he goes, oh, okay. Hey, listen, I'm at my doctor's office. Can I call you back? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he was sick. Yeah. So. So you call it inappropriate times, Howard, Eddie Vedder, Eddie Van Halen. Um, So let's close with, I saw one of your videos that you you have a Facebook page that I think fans can see, and then I think you have a private one, but I'm not sure which one I saw, but you've been posting a lot of memories because what people aren't doing shit, so you put the best stuff out there. And I watched, probably it was July of last year, you posted this video of you uh, at Pearl Jam concert (laughs) Uh, on stage behind Eddie, behind the band set at Wrigley Field. Um, and it, it, I watched the whole thing and I thought, God damn it, I missed that. I mean, that, him doing Bob O'Reilly, but what the fuck are you doing backstage? It's you guys, you know those guys, I guess, because of the Seattle thing, or how do you know it? The Pearl Jam guys. Uh, Mike is uh, the guitar player of the band. Um, and we've been friends for over, over 10 years now. He actually appears in my comedy special. I do, I've filmed a comedy special called the worst comedy show ever. And Mike shows up to show me how much better his life is than mine, which is plays effortlessly. And, uh, but yeah, we, we've known each other, uh, for over 10 years and it wasn't even a Seattle thing. Cause we became friends after I moved out. In fact, I became friends with all those Seattle guys after I left. Um, I did it, tour with Allison Chains uh, as their opening act doing stand-up. And that was like in 2000. I moved out of Seattle in 98. I toured with Allison Chains in 2007, I think. Um, and uh, and then in that world, like you just kind of, uh, everybody kind of knows each other. So you get to know everybody uh, through everybody else. But, but yeah, Mike is uh, an incredibly uh, funny guy and, uh, and a nice human being who 
when I go to shows, he's incredibly gracious to let me stand on stage to witness that experience. So, and I love whenever I'm in situations like that to, to, uh, on any of my social media pages, just in a, describe it in a way that vaguely describes what you're looking at. Like I remember being at the Super Bowl in, in San Francisco a few years ago and posting a live video and saying uh, local San Francisco band uh, rehearsing a song about puppets. And and, uh, and people were chiming in going, the fuck? Fucking Metallica rehearsal? Like, you know, and um, uh, I love, love, love posting shit like that, you know, uh, in, in very vague terms and letting people figure it out. There's pictures on my Facebook page you can see from when I was a kid where you can read the comments and people go, who's the Axl Rose looking guy next to you? And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. But You have a very Where's Waldo type of life with all this stuff. You have like the music thing, the comedy thing, Sex and the City, King of Queens. You have something to say about that. You can say like, the, yeah, the Bill Murray moment at the World Series, the uh, living in Eddie's house. Yeah, tell absolutely. me, Tell me a Bill Murray story. Is it? Uh, it's at the World Series. Uh, you just Google my name and uh, and Bill Murray um, at the World Series. Um, I've always said I'll, and I know you're a Cardinals fan, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Dude, I just learned about this hatred like like the first time I came to St. Louis in the early 2000s. I didn't realize there was so much hostility there for Cubs fans. So forgive me, but I gotta I've say only- this for a second. I think they hate Cardinal fans way more than Cardinal fans hate Cubs. I'll just I'll throw that out there. I think the team that wins the more, and I'm not trying to be a dick about it, but I think the, win, the team that wins the more, the most doesn't really think about the team that doesn't win. It's, you know what I mean? Like the Blues, as a hockey fan, we fucking hate the Blackhawks. They won. They won three fucking cups in five years. We hate them, but couldn't beat them. But as a Cardinal fan, you're like, oh, it's a little cute cuddly Cubs. And almost, it's like, yeah, let them win one. Fuck, it's been 110 years. So I'll, I'll just say that. And I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm, that's, I'm serious about it. We hate the Chiefs, you know, because the, the fucking Chiefs, we don't have a team anymore. But we hated them, so it's always that thing. Well, like, the first time I came to Chicago, I did the Steve Dahl show. Dan Filato was the producer. Dan ended up being Artie's guy years later. And Dan heard me talking about how much I admire and respect Cubs fans because they're so loyal to such a shitty team. And I really admire that. I, re- I genuinely respected that. Growing up in New York as a Yankee fan and seeing how mean Yankee fans are to fans of other teams, it just there's just so much shittiness that you would see at Yankee Stadium that it, it made me pull out. And even though that was my birthright, I grew up 10 miles from Yankee Stadium. And then I saw Cubs fans, and I went to a game when I was like 17 or 18, and I was like, this place is packed, and this team sucks. I, I, I loved it. So Filato, uh tells me, you know, I live with Mark Grace, who was on the team at the time. And he goes, come over, I'll get you some stuff. I go to the house, and he goes, oh, come on, let me, let me get you some Cubs stuff. And we go into Mark's room. Mark's on the road. And he goes, he opens up a closet, and he goes, uh, he probably won't miss any of this. And he just started stealing shit out of his closet to give me. Um, within a year, I go to St. Louis. And again, the Cubs suck at this time. I walked on stage wearing a Mark Grace jersey. And I thought I wasn't going to get out of there alive. It was the craziest fucking thing. Anyways, I've been saying for years, 
I'll never go to a, a World Series unless the Chicago Cubs are in the World Series. To which all my friends would always say, then you're never going to a World Series. And uh, they finally made it to the World Series. I got tickets for game six and seven. Ended up down in the third row uh, behind home plate. And uh, right at the bottom of the 10th, when they were about to get the last out, I decided to do a Facebook Live. And I feel somebody leaning on me as I'm trying to hold my camera and get this live shot. I turn around. It's Bill Murray. He's drunk and crying. And I just, I turned around and I just, I'm trying to get this live shot. But in that moment, I wanted to go, I love you. Like, I, I, there's so much you want to say to Bill Murray. And I just looked at him and went, hold on, Bill, just hold, hold on, hold on, man, hold on. And I get the shot and I went, ah! Oh! And we started high-fiving and hugging each other. And it was this crazy Facebook Live. All the shots of uh, Bill Murray celebrating that Cubs win, he's hugging and high-fiving a guy with a Mariners hat on. And it looks like he went to the game together. But he literally, at the last moment before the Cubs won, showed up right behind me. So, yes, there's a lot of crazy, random moments that happen. Uh, you know, uh, being on the field with my favorite team when they won the Super Bowl, uh, Mitch Hedberg, Eddie, you know, all that shit. It's crazy. We've, we've wrapped it all up, and I still have so much more to ask you, but I've kept you longer than I even said I would. I'm so sorry about this. Getgas.com is the website to find out where he's going to be. He's going to be in St. Louis this next weekend, May 6th through the 9th, 2021. Two shows on a Saturday, Friday and Saturday night, so it's going to be fun. One thing I had to ask for my wife was Sarah Jessica Parker. Was she a bitch? What was that like? <laughs> and then we'll go. <laughs> I didn't talk to Sarah much, but she seemed really, really nice. And, in fact, uh, Cynthia Nixon was the nicest because I had to go down on her for 18 hours my first day on the set. So uh, Cynthia Nixon was amazing to put up with me. So must all be, those girls. Must be a great actress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Exactly. Craig, I appreciate this. Again, I, you know, I, I, there's so much more. I, I had so many more things. Maybe we'll do this again. Maybe we'll see you in St. Louis when you come through. But I really enjoyed this. And like I said, I, I just all these stories are so great, and the impressions are great. So you'll love Craig if you go see him in concert. Anything else that you want to add? Uh, Kraken and Mariners, how the Seahawks do? do you, care? I don't, you guys are so far away, Seattle, so far away. that we don't, I don't even know where it is. It feels like it's Alaska, but. Yeah, I don't live in Seattle. Everyone thinks I live in Seattle. I live in Los Angeles. I'm in Las Vegas right now because I've been spending a lot of time over the last year and a half with a comedian friend of mine, Carl LeBeau. Who just sorry passed. about that. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, and, uh, uh, and that's an incredible story. But, uh, um, but just come out to the show, man, because I'm usually funny. And uh, uh, I think you'll get a kick out of the stern stuff that I talk about on stage. Excellent. We thank Craig. Uh, had an Ernie Lang update too, so that not clickbait. It's it's true. I ask everybody; they try to give their updates. We thank Craig Gas for joining us here on uh, Here's the Pitch. STLMasters.com is my sponsor. Masters Restaurants in St. Louis, five locations. Head there if you're uh, going out to see Craig Gas. Maybe have dinner before, then go there. STLMasters.com. You can see their menus and directions to the restaurants. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.